0: Good morning and happy Easter to you. I'm Julie Coleman and I'm a part of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. This morning, in light of Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be looking at a passage that Jesus is described as the firstborn from the dead. Up until my mid-30s, I never really understood how cohesive the whole Bible was. I knew a lot of the stories, like Noah's Ark or David and Goliath, but I never saw the Bible as one complete book, that it was united in purpose with a huge story arc, that it's actually a 4,000-year-plus timeline that has its center in Jesus. I had never connected the dots to see how everything moved toward that same thing. One day, I took a seminar at church that blew my socks off. The pastor gave a survey that connected the whole story for, for me from creation in Genesis to the future new creation at the end of Revelation. And I would never look at the Bible the same ever again. So this Easter morning, I have that story to tell. It's an epic tale of two kingdoms. I'm basing this message on Colossians 1, 13 to 20. So let's read that together, pray, and then settle back to hear the greatest story ever told. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is above all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Let's pray. God, I just ask for your help this morning, that you would make my words clear, and that you would touch our hearts with the great message of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. Please help us understand this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's no other paragraph in the New Testament that contains a more concentrated doctrine about Jesus Christ than what we just read. You see, Paul wrote to prove the preeminence, the supremacy, and the superiority of Christ. He's not just one of many. He's the only one. He is the incomparable Christ. But within that story is another story, the tale of two kingdoms, Paul started out, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You'll notice there are two places in which we can exist, either the domain of darkness or the kingdom of light. They're two different kingdoms with two different rulers, one designed in holiness for good, the other designed in rebellion to destroy. Now, there may be two kingdoms at the moment, but they were not always two. As we just read, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Now, you probably don't think first of Jesus is the creator of all things, but Paul says he is. Firstborn literally indicates a birth order. In the Old Testament, you probably remember that the firstborn inherited his father's place his head, as head of the family, and he got a double portion of the inheritance. But Jesus was not created, he was creator. He is God, one of three persons that make up the Trinity. He is as eternal as the Father and Spirit. So in this context, firstborn does not indicate birth order. What it does indicate is his position of first in importance, of first rank. Christ is the firstborn because he created all things, all things, both in heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. We'll start with the invisible. He created the angels and other spiritual beings to dwell in heaven and worship God. That's the invisible world. He also created the material world. He created the earth and everything in it, the stars in our galaxy, what we can see is the material world. And like God said after many days of creation, it was good. It was the kingdom of God, all of it. John even said at the beginning of his gospel, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. But that great kingdom wouldn't stay unified under one head for long. At some point, one of the most powerful and beautiful angels got the idea that he could rival God. Now, we don't have a lot of information in the Bible about him and and his uh, beginnings on earth, but there is a passage in Isaiah's prophecy that is believed by many to describe what Satan was thinking as he rebelled. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But God answered those horrible things he was thinking, and he said, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am God, you have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the anointed cherub who covers on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness was found in you. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. There's one more glimpse of the result of Satan's rebellion in Revelation chapter 12. It says this, There was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And at that event, the kingdom was no longer one unified domain. It makes me think a little bit about the um, Civil War split between North and South in the United States. The Southern states didn't want the federal government to be allowed to tell them what to do. So they set up a confederacy. And one definition of a confederacy is an alliance of people or groups formed for an illicit purpose. They created a capital. They elected a president. They raised up an army, an army that fought against the North but in the end, they couldn't compete with the North. Sheer numbers of soldiers, the materials available to the North, all the manufacturing that was able to create war machinery, they couldn't compete with it. They were beaten and the States became one country again. Well, just like the Confederate soldiers fighting for their freedom and self-rule, Satan fought with a passion fueled by a hatred for God. After being cast down to earth, he set up shop here. He put himself in charge and employed the angels that followed him into a great army, powerful and numerous. Jesus called him the ruler of the earth. Paul called him the prince of the power of the air, who's the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Satan's domain had a powerful head, a great army, and passionate motivation in their hatred of God. It was is a formidable kingdom. But the two kingdoms could not be more opposite. Jesus told people that you are are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is not truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies." So let's take a look at these two kingdoms side by side. Satan's kingdom was about lies, and God's kingdom is about truth. Satan's kingdom is described as darkness, whereas God's kingdom is is described as light. Satan's kingdom was against God, and of course, the kingdom of heaven is for God. Satan's kingdom leads to death. The kingdom of God is all about life. It was a kingdom of rebellion where Satan was prince, and it's a kingdom of righteous obedience to God. Satan's kingdom is temporary, but God's kingdom is everlasting. But the Creator had a plan to rescue His creation before the foundation of the world, and immediately following their first sin, He introduced that rescue to Adam and Eve as He told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The Son of God would come to earth, living on earth as a man, because his mission was to save mankind. The ruler of the earth did his best to abort that mission. He tempted him to come on over to the other kingdom. We read in Matthew that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But Jesus refused. He lived a sinless life so that he could pay for our sin. Only the innocent could pay for the guilty. And finally, on the cross, he did pay for the sin of mankind with his lifeblood. He stood in our place and he endured our punishment. He paid off a debt he did not owe. He suffered on the cross at the and at the worst moment, crying out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" He experienced the loss of God's presence so that we would never have to do that. And his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for the sin of the whole world, all of it. But his rescue mission didn't stop there. He died and his spirit left his body. They carried his body to the tomb. But first Peter tells us that, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Now, I know that's kind of a weird passage, and scholars have long debated about what Peter was describing here. When did Jesus do that? And who are those spirits in prison? Where did this happen? This is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, but I'm going to take a stab and give you my take on this. In light of the fact that Jesus died and his body laid in the grave for three days, the payment for sin had been made. People could be set free from their enslavement to sin, but death, the ultimate result of the fall, still needed to be conquered. So I believe that between his death and resurrection, in spirit, Jesus went to Hades where the disobedient spirits were. I'm thinking it was Satan's army of fallen angels as described before the story of Noah. And he proclaimed his victory over them. He proclaimed his victory over them. The war had been won for the kingdom of God. And like on the cross and its agony, his going there meant that we will never have to go to that place. He went for us. He represented us on the cross when he paid for the sin of mankind. He went through death, including a visit to Hades instead of us, but he didn't stay in the grave. On that resurrection Sunday, God raised him from the dead forever, releasing us from what was our condemnation. And so Paul wrote, he is firstborn from the dead. He conquered death forever because without his resurrection, there could be no resurrection for others. We were born into the kingdom of darkness. We were held captive there by our sin. But Jesus is the victor over that kingdom. When we believed in him, he transferred us from the darkness into the kingdom of light. He set us free from the captivity of our own making. So, when our bodies die, we will go straight into the presence of the Lord. Paul wrote, knowing that while we are at home at the body, we are absent from the Lord, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Do you see it? There's only two options for believers. Our spirit is dwelling either in the body or is present with the Lord. No punishment for our sin awaits us. No stay in hell is necessary. He did all that for us. We just have two places we can be here in the body and with God. Jesus being the firstborn of the dead also means there were going to be those who followed. He was the first to rise, but not the last. Romans eight twenty nine says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. He rose never to die again, and we will follow him in that way. Notice what Paul says of Jesus here. First, he rescued us. He delivered us from the powers of darkness. He canceled the debt that we owed. He made it so that we cannot be enslaved ever again. His forgiveness set us free. And then he transferred us Now this word, transferred, was used to describe the deportation of a population from one country to another. So that word would have rung a bell for those living in Colossae because 200 or so years before, Antiochus transported at least 2,000 Jews from Babylonia to the area around Colossae. They were given houses and farmland and were exempt from taxation for 10 years. They were to have the right to live under their own laws. The big difference was earthly rulers transported the defeated, but Jesus transported the victors. It would have been a great metaphor for them to understand what Paul was teaching about being transferred. We've become full citizens of a new kingdom. We live on earth and acknowledge our future inheritance by living as kingdom citizens in the here and now. So what? What does Jesus being the firstborn from the dead mean for us today? His victory is our victory. The war has been won, but we still see the enemy's presence. They continue in their destruction, but that won't last forever. Reminds me a little bit of World War II. Even after all the peace treaties were signed, some pockets of people kept on fighting until they were finally stopped for good. Satan's army may know that the war is lost, but they will continue in their skirmishes to fight on until God puts an end to their kingdom. And we see that end in Revelation. It says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So Satan and his kingdom know their days are numbered because the end has been written. It's just a matter of time. One day that domain will be abolished for good. Remember back in Exodus where Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and the Egypt army was right behind them pursuing them. So God rescued them by parting the Red Sea and having them walk across on dry land. The waters piled high on both sides of them. But before they made the crossing, Moses told them, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, who you have seen today, You will never see them again, forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Just as he did that for the Egyptians, God has done the same for us. We have been rescued out of the domain of darkness and its slavery. We have been transferred into the kingdom of light, the promised land. We will not have to experience any more than physical death. The horror of spiritual death and punishment for our sin is already behind us. And one day, the enemy will be obliterated forever. Sin and all its destruction will finally be finished. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So rejoice, my friends. Christ is risen, the firstborn of the dead, It's already been done. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for all you did, taking our sin, nailing it to the cross, freeing us from its slavery. Thank you that you defeated the domain of darkness and that one day they will be obliterated forever and there will be no more tears, no more sadness. But in your new creation, you will reign supreme. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.